A boy's best friend is his mother. Why, she wouldn't even harm a fly. My name is Amanda. And I'm Kristen. And, and we, we are, are the Extra Sisters. So sit back, relax, and let's get creepy. Welcome to episode 49. We have yes, made it. We did. We made it through. Oh, man, that was a busy season. Dude. All, October. All Halloween week. Every Friday. Every Monday. That was a lot of stuff. Yeah. But we made it through. And we marathoned. And yes. it was great. And we got to visit the Stanley. Yeah. That oh, was I hope cool. you. I hope y'all enjoy. I mean, if you ever yes. get the chance to even just tour. So... They do, and I'm, I know we talked about this, but they do tours. You don't have to stay there to go, and they do yeah. a haunted tour, and they show you where all the ghosty rooms are, but there are people staying in them, so, like, you can't go in them. Mm-hmm. Like, like, walk by. Yeah, when we were there, they had tours, like, yeah. oh, this is the outside of that room, but there are guests there, yes. and that's where Stephen King was. And we and were the guests. It was great. We were the guests. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll cost you a fucking uh, shit ton of money. Dude. So much money. It was expensive. But yeah. it was like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of experience. Exactly. Because even the Stephen King room is more expensive than their other haunted rooms. Because yes. it's Stephen King's room. Like, yes. does he own it? No. But basically, yeah. Basically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that's where he got the dream that inspired The Shining. So exactly. that's like, it was, you could feel just the history mm-hmm. in that. It was so and cool. the Yeah, it was. Anyways, you can go check that out. Listen to The Shining. You know. Yeah. But. We fucking made it. October was busy. It was good busy. Yeah. Like, October is always busy for us spooky bitches. And then my anniversary is on November 3rd. Today's the 4th. My birthday is right after. My birthday is on November 1st. My mom's birthday is on Halloween. Yeah. So much stuff. Fucking busy. And this is posted on November 4th. And uh, tomorrow I leave for my Mexico vacation. Yeah. Yeah. So excited. I, yeah, I'm excited. People keep telling me I'm going to get like poisoned and die. You're going to get took. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. You can find a new co-host and just know that I died on the beach and I'm happy. Oh, okay, but nobody likes horror movies with me, so um, you can't die. Well, maybe you'll get a co-host Ooh. that doesn't like a co-ghost. <gasps> Genius. You need to watch The Ruins because that's what's going to happen to you. You're going to go to The Ruins and these plants are going to take you over. But what if I don't want to watch that before I go? Can I watch it after? No. Maybe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't want to watch it before you go. Maybe we'll watch it when we're there. Okay. Do that. Well, I don't even say, think I said what we are doing in this episode. Oh, yeah. No, we haven't gotten to that. <laughs> in this episode, we are going to be diving into the Alfred Hitchcock classic from 1960, Psycho. Yes. Started so much shit. A shitty remake yes. with Vince Vaughn, mm-hmm. Bates Motel. I mean, just and I got to watch American this Psycho in a way. For the first time. Yes. Last year? Last year. Yeah. I had never seen I had never seen this movie. Not because I hadn't wanted to. It just was Mm -hmm. one of those things I just never made time for. Mm -hmm. It's so hard when you love horror because you love the ones you love and you just watch them. And then you want to watch like if somebody hasn't seen it, you're like, oh watch this. So I've watched the same ones over and over. But I was like, even before we started thinking about this podcast, I was like, I have to watch Psycho. You do. We have got to watch Psycho because I've never seen it. And man, between this and the birds, I just, I know Alfred Hitchcock was a shitty human being. Yes, but put that aside for a but, second. But, oh my god. He does amazing fucking movies. Dude, this, there is a fucking reason this is so highly coveted. And yes. not only our community, just film in general. Mm-hmm. 
Because this is just a masterpiece of film Mm -hmm. from the acting to the cinematography to the directing to the writing just is so fucking good. And I can't say enough good things about this. And I don't even it's not like we are filmmakers or in that profession. We just love horror movies. But when a just general horror fan is so enthralled by this masterpiece, you know, it's fucking good because I that's what you want the music i mean even never seeing psycho until last year i knew the fucking theme song exactly knowing it exactly it's like one of those things it's just like one of those things of pop culture that's just like you're born with it's like the do 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 nobody knows where that fucking comes well it comes from captain kangaroo but most people don't know where it comes from yeah exactly (laughs) everyone knows it right exactly just like the halloween theme too yeah everybody fucking knows it so and jaws Horror gave us so much good yes. fucking music, dude. Why is it not loved by everyone? Why? I have fucking wh- Academy, Oscars, dude. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> so if you haven't seen this, highly, highly recommend actually seeing it before you listen because I feel like this is going to be one yes. where we do talk about I mean, a scene. If you but... even care about ratings before, like, so you don't have to listen to the whole walkthrough, five out of five. From five me. out of five. five I agree. Five. Amazing. Yeah. Watch it and then listen to this because I feel like... We can talk about these scenes, but you gotta really have the experience. And uh, first of all, especially psychological. Anthony ones. Perkins, fucking amazing. The expressions on that man's amazing. fucking face, dude. Mm-hmm. God, mm. no, I didn't do that. I'm like, a, I'm super attracted to him. Just like so good and raw, and like, and it's in black and white. So mm-hmm. there's a lot you don't see as far as he didn't need to use color saturation or bright or dark. It's just black and white, mm-hmm. and that was a choice. It like, was both, actually. So, he was put on such a small budget that he wanted to make sure everything was put on the screen. So, yes, a part of it was because of the budget. But then, yes, he really did want the artistic side of it. Mm-hmm. And this movie doesn't feel pretentious, in my opinion. Because no. there are some movies that are very artistic and highly revered and all that shit that feel a little pretentious. Yeah. And this does not to me. Mm-hmm. I think this is just such a... It started a lot for horror. I mean, there's really yes. nothing like this in my that I know of from this era. If you look up right now, like on Google, and try me, I've done it, <laughs> of what the first slasher is, a lot of people say it starts around the 70s with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Black Christmas, Bay of Blood, you get into those. No. But this, even though there, of course, was this weird psychosis, just... This, it was it was a slasher. slasher. Yes. Like, he literally slashes her in the shower. How is that not the first? And it is probably the most iconic scene. Like, even if you've never seen Psycho, you've seen this fucking scene, whether it was done as a spoof in some animated show like Family Guy. Not specifically <laughs> Family Guy, but... Everybody ev- does that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, it's been duplicated and replicated so many times, and it's... It is the... I mean, if you really think about it, the... it Everyone credits the 70s with laying the groundwork for slashers but psycho did it alfred hitchcock did it yeah it's literally well based on a serial killer the same serial killer they base quote-unquote texas chainsaw massacre on so how is this not a slasher yeah it is it's a slasher (laughs) and what's cool about it too is you do get involved with these characters though it's not the kind of slasher where it's just like everybody's a throw in getting killed because there aren't actually a lot of characters in this movie Mm -hmm. that have Mm storylines it's the select few and really only two people and mainly norman bates right he's your main one that you're attached to exactly he's the bad guy Mm -hmm. and you feel sorry for him the whole time i'd wife him up 
<laughs> His mother would kill you. You're right, she would. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's start this off in the beginning. So, there's a character named Marion. She's our main character, who was played by Janet Lee, who I watched this with Sierra and Brad and Katie came in and out. None of them had any idea that this was Jamie Lee Curtis's mother. Really? Yep. Because I was like, y'all want to hear some trivia but that you might know? And they were like, sure. Because I think most people in the horror community, they know that. Yeah. But I was like... Jamie Lee Curtis, everybody knows. She's a scream queen. I mean, and all fairness, if you look at her compared to her mother and yeah. her father, she looks like her father. Yeah. So that makes sense on yeah. why the resemblance isn't, isn't as much. But, yeah. Oh. Yeah. And I was like, so Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, she's a scream queen. She was mm-hmm. the Halloween scream queen. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, that's her mom. Her mom was the first? Yeah. Queen. And they were like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. So she is in a hotel with her lover and wants to cut off their sexual relationship because she wants a respectable relationship. First of all. She's a badass. Mm-hmm. I love her. Mm-hmm. Even though she's, like, she is a protagonist, but she's also a criminal. Like, yeah. she's still, like, super headstrong, and I love that. Well, like I commented in The Birds, Halford Hitchcock has such a good job of making the woman not the... Um, Damsel? <laughs> yes. Yeah. They're, they can be evil and good. They're definitely just people. You're telling me if somebody was like, I'm going to give you $40,000 cash right now, you wouldn't be like, deuces. Exactly. <laughs> well, I probably wouldn't. But you know what I mean. Like, it's not that far off to think that somebody would do that. And uh, part of the trivia, it said it was like $350,000 cash. $346,000. Yes. Yes. Damn, I remember that yep, shit. Yep, I actually, it's like $346,700 and something dollars. Yes. It was, Nowadays. Uh, yeah. I'd fucking take off with that shirt. Well, actually, maybe not. I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy you a house now. Not where she we are. Knows. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, she is, she wants a respectable relationship. She's like, this is not going to happen anymore. <laughs> and she gets back to work late because she was fucking. And her <laughs> bo- <laughs> her boss isn't there. And he's still at lunch with a client who is buying a house her, from him. Her little employee, that's Albert Hitchcock's daughter. And he's oh. actually standing outside the window if you wanted his cameo. I forgot in. to look. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> I was looking for it in the birds and I mm-hmm. missed it. And I forgot to look for it in, yeah. in Psycho. Because I don't look a lot of the trivia stuff. That's usually you. Yeah. But so this client, they come back, her boss and this client comes back and he's flaunting his money in front of Mary and trying to use it to hit on her. And he's buying a house for his 18 year old daughter as a wedding present. And he's like, it's $40,000 cash. I want someone to buy me a house for my 18th birthday. Well. Or for my 18 year old daughter's wedding present or whatever. I want someone to buy me a house. He's like, count it. Count it. He's just like, money, money, money. <laughs> Like, he's just flaunting this fucking money to get this woman's attention. Isn't he wearing, like, I'm remembering, like a big cowboy hat? Oh, yeah. It he's got a 10 gallon. It reminds me of, like, those big ranches back then yeah. that had all the money, like Dallas and Dynasty and all That's that shit. 100% That's 100% what dude. I thought of. I was yeah. like, oh, he's an oil and gas. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And her boss wants to put it in the safe, but he leaves it with Marion. And so her boss tells her to take it to the bank, to the safety deposit box. Right safety deposit box it's her purse and she asks her boss to go home after she's done with the bank because she's got a headache and he says that's fine and she leaves and she don't go to the bank oh no no she goes home with the cash and packs a bag and this is what i wrote in my notes she goes home with three hundred forty six thousand dollars <laughs> in cash <laughs> yes. and she's driving away and she actually sees her she's on her way out of town and she sees her fucking boss and he sees her and she's like <gasps> But she makes it weird. Like, she, she does. could have already gone to the bank and could been, been like, hey. Her own thing. Yeah. It's not his goddamn business. She makes it weird. Yeah. 
She makes everything weird. She's not yes, a good criminal. No. She does not know how to play it cool. So she stops on the side of the road to sleep as she's on her way out of town. And a cop pulls over to check on her, as any cop would. Yeah. So she doesn't play it off very well at all, but he lets her go. She's, like, acting, like, real, like, skittish yes. and sketched out. And, like, she's doing something wrong. She's real shifty. And she's like, you're wasting my time. Like, I need to go. Like, you should suck up to that cop big time. Because if he sees you got $40,000 cash in your purse, he's going to think you Dude. took it from somebody. Because this is not the era where women could just have their own money. Oh, fuck no. And the whole time she's hearing this dialogue of what she thinks, like, her boss is saying and this dude is saying and all of that stuff. And mm-hmm. that's really cool because that's something that you definitely would think of. You're being paranoid. Yeah. Granted, it is what's happening. I was about to say, and that's probably exactly what they're saying. Yes. Yeah. And the cop follows her for a while, but then she, but then he exits and she pulls into a car lot and the cop sees her there. So this cop has been like low key following her because he's, she acted sketchy. And she acts sketchy to the the car dealer. Yes. And she, he's just like standing across the street, like staring at her with his aviators. And (laughs) she's being weird and she's rushed and sketchy with the car salesman, like Mm -hmm. you said. And she's terrible at playing it off. Dude. And he's like, well, with your car, to get a new car, it's $700 cash plus your car. And it's like showing all these license plates that they're California plates. And she's from Arizona. So she's trying to switch her car. But the cop's watching her switch her car. Exactly. So it doesn't help if you switch your car and the cop that you're concerned about is watching you. Just stupid criminal. When she goes inside to do the transaction, the cop pulls into the lot and they all, including the mechanic and the salesman and the cop, watch her leave. And she's so spacey. The mechanic is like, hey, hey. And like she forgets her fucking suitcase and shit. So they're like, oh, she's running. Like clearly she's running from something. And the cop wants to look at the papers from the transaction to make sure that the car wasn't stolen and said that she seemed off. And then back at her office, her boss and coworker have been in contact with her sister and everyone is concerned about her and wants to check in on her. And her boss tells Cassidy, the man that bought the house, that he trusted her because she worked for him for 10 years. I mean, yeah, I, I would. I mean, not to be like, but I mean, I have worked where I work for less and my boss trusts me, like exactly. with a lot of, a lot of shit, including money yes. and you, you go to the bank all the fucking time. All the time. I could just dip if I really wanted to, but yeah. no, I am loyal. Granted, you wouldn't get very far with, like, our little petty cash deposits. Our, but you $2. could. <laughs> As she's driving, so she's continuing to head out of town. It's raining so bad that she can't see through the dark and the rain. But then she sees a sign for Which the Bates Motel. To me. Like, you, it shows you what she's seeing. You yeah. literally can't see shit. I've been in rain like that. Fucking <laughs> terrifying. When I worked in Plano, Texas, and I lived in Forney. That's a pretty decent commute. Remember I told you I was on the highway and it was the scariest drive of my life? That's what it fucking looked like for an hour and a half. Fuck that. No. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't pull over. Was there nowhere to pull over? Well, people were just going so slow. I was basically parked anyways, but no, I just kept moving and I knew the route so well that I knew when I needed to exit and stuff, but I was in a little tiny Tiburon, which had like a tiny bit of ground clearance, and so I hydroplaned a lot, Mm. but... I made it. <laughs> I've been in rain like that one time, and it was across country, actually. I was visiting, Ew. driving to Massachusetts to visit my family and driving back. And the only thing that saved me was bi- big semis. Love you guys. Love you guys so much because I just stuck behind them. They had all those running lights, and I could see. I just stayed there. Didn't that's a, That's what I – I mean, I don't think it was semis, but just the car in front of me. I was like, mm-hmm. mm, everybody's just following the car in front of them because yep. of the lights. So. But she goes into the office of this motel and there's no one there, but she sees a woman in the window of the house next to the motel. 
So she goes outside to honk her horn to summon them out. And a man comes and talks to her about all the rooms being empty because they moved the main highway away from the motel. So his motel is struggling. He's so nerdy cute. Dude, I was telling Sierra when we watched this, I was like, he is so attractive to me. Yes. I don't know. But in that, like, nerdy... Like, I'll good go guy way. With you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And he's just handsome, like, in, yeah. in the face. He's, like, not upsetting to look at. Mm-hmm. So you would definitely trust him. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yes. And he introduces himself as Norman Bates, and he invites her to eat sandwiches and milk with him so she doesn't have to drive in the rain to the diner to get dinner. Really quick. Yes. I just want to, like, put this out here to think of. I, Being an audience member who didn't know the twist of this movie had to be amazing. Because you can't get away with that now. 100% yes. I mean, even though you hadn't seen it before, you knew what the twist was, right? Like, everybody basically does. Yes. Well, okay, actually, I had done a pretty good job of staying away from this. Okay. But I knew there was something... I I didn't think the mother was the killer. I thought that he was the killer the whole time. I didn't know that he was cross-dressing to be his mother. So, So actually... Yeah, okay, yeah, that's awesome. and it it still is like you know, but it sucks to be in a time where it seems like everything has been said and done. Yeah, and where does film go? I mean, I mean, if you look at the planet, we don't have that much longer. But like, if you just look into hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years from now, what are they gonna? Yeah. Are they just gonna keep remaking our movies? Or I mean, we're mm-hmm. remaking movies all the time. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's definitely. I wish that I could have been around for some of these movies, like my. Great uncle who listens to us, hello Uncle Mike, uh, said that he got to see Jaws in theaters, and yes. he he said he left with his like knees shaking or something. I would have loved that. I would have loved, that. I would yeah. have loved to have gone into this movie not knowing what it's about, yeah, and be like, oh my god, mind blown. Yes, yeah. I would love if you're a listener that is, and I don't mean this in any sort of disrespectful way, but is older, mm-hmm. like you know, you got to see yes. this. For the first time, without really knowing anything, let me, like, I would love to hear what you thought when you first got the twist of this movie, because that has got to be so cool. Same thing with, like, all the, like, Halloween, Nightmare Mm -hmm. on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, like, just seeing all in the thick of it. It's just one of those iconic twists, though, that we just know now. Right, yeah. so amazing. But he's very cordial and handsome and concerned for her. Like you said, it'd be very easy to trust Norman Bates. Which is a and lot wife of serial killers. I mean, look at Ted Bundy. Yeah. And she says she will eat with him, but first she wants to get all her stuff situated. And she's in her room and she hides the money in a newspaper. And she hears a woman yelling at Norman that she doesn't want him to bring strange girls into the house. And they're fighting about her being disgusting. And she, this woman's talking mad shit about Marion. <laughs> and she says, do I have to tell her because you don't have the guts, boy? And then he's like, shut up, shut up. You know, and it just sounds like a mother and a controlling, jealous mother. Mm-hmm fighting with her son but he does bring the food to her and they had to be real loud for her to be able to hear that shit right that house is like it's it's not like it's right next no. it's up on a hill a little mm-hmm. bit and he brings her food and says that his mother isn't herself norman says that he wishes he could apologize for his mother when she says she doesn't have much of an appetite so she's like you know i just heard all that shit and i don't really want to i'm good mm-hmm. but he invites her into the office parlor to eat with him or watch him eat if he's not going to eat. Like, they're yeah. just going to watch each other eat if they're not, yeah. With all of his dead birds. Yes. But in the parlor behind the office, Marion notices, like you said, a lot of bird taxidermy. Mm-hmm. And she eats while he's just talking. And he says, you eat like a bird. And then he tells her his hobby is taxidermy, but he hates the look of beasts when they're stuffed. He doesn't like 
foxes and bears and things like that. He likes birds because they're passive to begin with. So he's like this very gentle, like, mm-hmm. I don't like violence. I don't like, I don't even like the look of a stuffed fox. Like, yeah. I just like the Which little I birds. Get. I mean, if you think of the pictures of like a stuffed bear or something compared to like a stuffed pheasant. I mean, I'm from Texas and I have literally walked into a house. This is kind of fucked up, but... My mom, my parents were friends with an attorney for a long time. He was a fucking trophy hunter and I saw a bear and I saw a zebra and like, it's just fucking weird. And it just looks so much different. But then if I've only gone to like a natural history museum, but when if you look at birds, yeah, it looks just different. I don't know. Like I a stuffed of, animal. I kind of get what he's saying. Yeah. And she's like, that's strange. <laughs> that's a strange hobby. And he tells her he spends his time running errands and tending the motel and she asks if he ever goes out with friends, and he tells her a mother is a boy. <laughs> boy's best friend is his mother. <laughs> yeah. The reason I started laughing is because that is just so iconic, and it's been used so many There's times. There's, like, a list of the most known quotes from horror movies, and that's, like, number three or some shit. Yeah. On the most. Yes. And he asks what she's running away from. And they discuss about the traps people put themselves in and, like, the situations they create for themselves, Mm -hmm. basically. And he says he was born into his trap, but he doesn't mind it anymore. And then Marion brings up the shitty way his mom talks to him, but he says even when he thinks about defying his mother, he knows she can't because she's just... She can't help it. She's She's sick. She's crazy. Yeah. She had to raise him all by herself, and then his dad died, and then her husband after his dad... Her husband after his dad, excuse me died also and it was too great a shock for her and she tells him he should go away somewhere get away and he says that he can't leave his mom he says i don't hate her i hate what she's become and you know if this is a true story it's really sad Mm -hmm. because in a minute she suggests putting her into a home and he gets real upset about that you know really aggressive too and he what do you know about caring? She's as harmless as one of those stuffed birds. And he gets big mad, but then he digresses a little bit. He kind of catches himself getting Mm -hmm. worked up about this. And then he says, we all go a little mad sometimes. I love that. That is the best quote. That's scary. Yes. You watch him go mad for a second and then bring it back. That's terror. Yes. 100%. That's a serial killer right there. Because she's like, oh, okay. Struck a nerve there, you know? I mean, it's messed up and really dark to think of, but Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer, all of these serial killers do the same thing. They bring people into their lairs, and they're fine. They have a mask on, and that mask slips, and that's scary. That's some scary shit right there. Yeah. But their mask is on for so long that when it slips, it's like, ah, he's just moody. Yeah. Or that's a touchy subject. Or it's too late. Or that. So she gets up and goes to bed and tells him in the morning she's going to go back to Phoenix to dig herself out of the trap she created. And she says, oh, my name is Miss Crane. And then he immediately sees that she lied about her name and where she's from in the logbook. So he's mm-hmm. like, you're a fucking liar. Yeah. You're a sketchy bitch. And he goes what back. Which also makes him realize people aren't going to be looking for her, maybe. Or at least they're not going to be looking under the right name. Right. And he goes back into the parlor and looks through a hole in his wall that looks straight into her room and you get a straight shot into the bathroom. So in order to do that, Hitchcock used a camera that is most like the human eye. So it was like we were Norman looking, looking at her. Isn't that, that cool? point of view. It's those touches that Alfred Hitchcock does that makes him a master at this art. Nuancy. Yeah. He's very nuancy. Mm-hmm. I. This is going to be a gen- very generalized statement and it's certainly not 
all encompassing, but sometimes the most creative, effective artists are the biggest fucking dickheads. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean... Roman Polanski? Even not in movies. Fucking Pablo Picasso is this yeah. amazing master. He was a fucking jackass. Yeah. He cheated on his wife over and over and over again for years in yeah. his little mansion away from his family. Yeah. Well, and now all these stories, because women are finally feeling like they can speak out against these big, powerful men, all these stories of these people that have been big, big players, like Bill Cosby, for example, yeah, and, and exactly. comedy, these masters of their art, and, and and they're terrible fucking human beings. Yeah. Terrible human beings. And Alfred Hitchcock was also a terrible fucking human True. being. So he then gets this real spooky, spooky look, and he heads back up to his house. So she's sitting at the desk in her room and basically maths out what she has spent out of the $40,000. And then she rips it up and flushes the pieces. You know, she's really stupid in some regard, but she's also really, I don't know, like if I just like jotted down some scratch paper, if I would even like think to go try to flush it. Oh, for sure. I don't know. Like this is the first time we've ever had a toilet flushing on camera as well. Really? Yeah, this is when everybody was so reserved that toilets... This is when we had the beds that were separate. We don't have king size or queen size like beds. People don't Lucy. sleep together. Yeah. People don't use the bathroom. So we didn't hear toilets. We didn't hear any of that shit. Didn't exist. And this was the first time. Uh, was this the first time for a naked lady in the shower? Full know. on? I didn't get that. I mean, that it's not trivia. like you get like a full frontal shot of her, but you do mm -hmm. see from above, like mm -hmm. about to anyways. So she does flush the pieces and she gets into the shower. And through the curtain, you get the iconic, somebody's creeping up on her. You see the shadow oh, like silhouette. Like the door open? Yes. Fucking terrifying. Mm -hmm. She's having a good ass shower you too. You can't hear anything in a shower. You have no idea that that door just creaked open. Yep. And she, he come, he slash she, <laughs> <laughs> whips the curtain back. Janet Lee turns around and does her famous scream that I think we've actually used stills of yes. twice now on our Instagram and Facebook. Scream queen. Yes. And it's the, eh, 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 yeah. you know, and the knife, he just starts stabbing at her and you see the struggle and she stays standing up for a while before slinking down and dying as her blood runs down the drain. And it is very campy in the way that, you know, she like reaches out and then she falls over. Yes. And her eye. Ooh, I can't do the eye. Yes. But the iconic e e e that that wasn't even supposed to exist. Alfred Hitchcock wanted that to be a silent fucking scene. And mm. once again, kind of like Jaws, the sound person decided to go through and put sound with it. And Hitchcock heard it. And he's like, "Fuck, you're right. It makes it perfect." <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> and this is Alfred Hitchcock, the one who never gives anybody credit for anything. So that's amazing. Yeah. And then we get the eyeball shot as she dies. And it literally zooms in on her eyeball for a good, like, 30 seconds. Do you want to hear something really cool about this? Yes. More trivia that I've... I found so much trivia on this one. It's so great. And you're going to like this one because it's about eyes. Yeah. So, ophthalmologists actually wrote in to Alfred Hitchcock telling him that that's not what would happen with a dead body. That their eye... Her eye was still contracted. And that's not what would happen. So, they actually told him that if you used a drop of belladonna it will cause their eyes not to do that anymore and alfred Hitch hitchcock took that and he did it in the rest of his movies interesting Isn't that awesome? yeah and then you hear norman yell mother oh god mother blood blood <laughs> and so like the mother went and killed this bitch that been uh hitting on her son because he's into her back the fuck up yeah that's my kid what the fuck <laughs> 
So he runs to see Marion murdered and he's shocked and shaky, but he cleans up his mother's mess and he wraps her body in the shower curtain, puts it in the trunk of her car along with her stuff, including the money. And he drives it to the back of the property where there's this little swamp and it sinks in. And it stops for a second. That's the best part. Yeah, because he's like, um, <laughs> you're only left with Norman. That's your yeah. only person now in this movie. And it stops and you're like, oh, God. Even though he just, his mother just fucking killed someone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're still like, oh, God, he's going to get caught. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. And then it cuts back to Phoenix where Marion came from. And Marion's sister asks her lover if he's seen her because she hasn't heard. Y'all. We just had to stop for a second because a door just closed in Kristen's fucking house. And I know you got fucking spirits up in this bitch. She's going to go check. So BRB. If that door slams while you're gone. Oh my God. I'm so scared. They're fine. I'm sure everything's fine. Hmm. <laughs> Lila, Marion's sister, goes to ask Sam, her lover, if he's seen her because she hasn't heard from her. And Sam asks if Marion is in trouble and a PI then comes in and says he's looking for the missing $40,000. And the private investigator goes around to, he's basically going to like follow her route out of town. Mm-hmm. And stop by all these, like, yeah. hotels or places she could have stopped. And all the sketchy-ass places that he can easily ask if she was at. Exactly. And, of course, Bates Motel is on his route. Mm-hmm. And he goes in and says that he's looking for her because her family just wants to forgive her. And she's, you know, she's not in trouble, but she's got some family stuff, you know. And he, Norman says no one has been there for a few weeks. And he looks at the register because he has a sample of Marianne's handwriting. The PI does. And the register, I mean, like the, where you sign in. Yes. And he picks out her handwriting immediately. And he catches Norman lying about not seeing her. And Norman says she went straight to sleep and left immediately the next morning. And he also acts sketchy. I was about to say, he's also not good at keeping a story straight at no. all. He cannot lie to save his fucking life as Norman. And he is trying to cover up his mother's murder so desperately, his mother's murder, so desperately that he is trying so hard, but he just keeps digging this hole deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. Where this detective or this PI is basically like, oh, this is definitely the guy. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. 100% this is the guy. (laughs) So he's stammering and muddying through details. He says he wants to check all 12 cabins before he leaves, and Norman tells him to follow him while he changes all the bed linens. And Mr. Abagast, Arbogast, and Mr. Arbogast, the PI, sees a woman in the window of the house. And Norman says no one is home, but when he points out the window, Norman says, it's his mother and she's invalid. Was he, like, just setting her body in front of windows? Probably in a chair, yeah, yeah. It was probably her room and that was her chair by the window. Yeah. But there are times when she vanishes and Norman's still around, right? Maybe she falls out. She's a corpse. Ew. (laughs) So he accuses him of hiding Marion and he tells her he may have been... Norman says, I may have been fooled by her, but my mother wasn't. 
And then the PI wants to talk to his mother, but Norman gets really aggressive. Well, I'd say mildly aggressive, actually, and basically tells him to leave. And so he does, and he goes to a nearby payphone. And he calls Lila and tells her that Marion was there and apparently just showed up and left. But he's not satisfied with the answers he got from Norman and still thinks Sam might also be in on it. So there have been some accusations that her lover was like, yeah, get that 40 grand and we'll go. Right. You know, but he's not involved. So he goes right back to Bates Motel and he goes into the parlor and sees all the taxidermy and a safe. I would be a little more sketched out. I guess he's like real confident in his ability I mean, to. PI, yeah. I guess, but I agree. Why do people keep walking into horror mo- or into mo- walking into homes in these movies? I don't know, dude. And uh, he goes up the stairs and he gets stabbed by some crazy lady. Because he walks into the house. Like, he goes into the parlor, sees the taxidermy, mm-hmm. and then he just walks into the house. Up the stairs, and then he falls down all those stairs. And you see his face as he falls the whole time. Ugh. And then she, like, is racing at him and jumps at him to stab him more. Yeah. That, I think the fact that something is running down at you as you're falling backwards is more terrifying to me. Than the actual fall? Yeah. Because you can't do anything. You're exactly. falling. <laughs> you know she's coming for you. Yeah. And then it cuts to Norman sinking the P.I.'s body in the pond. And he hears Sam calling out for the PI. So Sam is now investigating because they haven't really heard anything. And then Sam goes all the way back to Lila in Arizona to tell her that he did not find Bates or Arbogast, only a woman unwilling or unable to answer the door. So he goes up to the house, knocks on the door, and nobody comes. But he thinks he saw an old woman up there, so maybe she's just too old to come down and answer the door. So Lila and Sam go to the deputy sheriff to update him on these people being missing. And the deputy sheriff and his wife actually know the Bates family. The sheriff and his wife actually know the Bates family and ask if the woman in the house is a wife. And they're excited. They're like, did Norman take a wife? Like he's all alone up there. They're hoping for him. Yeah. Maybe he's just kind of socially awkward. Like he seems like that's maybe what they think of him. Like this poor feeble kid who's had kind of a messed up past with his father dying. Maybe an overbearing mother where he wasn't allowed out. Exactly. And... The sheriff calls Norman, and Norman says the detective questioned him and left, and that was that. And the detective tells Lila and Sam that Norman's mom has been dead for ten years in a murder-suicide, and Norman found them dead in bed together. Ain't no mom. She did. Also, murder-suicide. Mm-hmm. He for sure killed them. Oh, yeah. And then it cuts to Norman telling his mother she needs to hide in the fruit cellar and she's arguing that she will stay right there in her room and she doesn't want to go down into that fucking fruit cellar. You think I'm a fruit? (laughs) He tells her it's just for a few days because they'll come looking for the P.I. and he needs to hide her. And so he just carries her downstairs and she's like, don't touch me, 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 me. But you only ever see like the back of her head or the top of her head. Mm -hmm. You don't actually like see her face. And then it cuts to Lila and Sam talking to the sheriff and he says he went, this is like, the next day at Sunday church or whatever. And he says he went and checked on Norman and there was no woman and he was completely alone. So then they go to the Bates Motel because they're like, ain't nobody going to figure this out. And so they pose as a couple on a business trip. And Lila notices cabin one's door is unlocked and she tells Sam they need to check it because they actually get put, I think, in cabin 10. Yeah. And as she's walking to cabin 10, she just kind of checks the door to see if it's unlocked and it is. And so they go in there and they find a piece of the paper that Marion was trying to flush. And they basically can tell that she was subtracting something from 40000 So mm-hmm. they're like, oh, yeah, she was here. there's the money. Like, that, exactly. Yeah. So they create this plan and Lila goes to investigate the motel in the house while Sam distracts Norman. as their plan. 
So she goes into the house and she sees an imprint in the bed where someone just lays all the time, but no one seems to be there. Vomit. Are you trying to vomit? Like, okay. Like, that's fucking gross. <laughs> like her dead body's just laying there the whole time. All the time. All the time. And then back at the motel, Sam is pressuring Norman about the money and he accuses him of stealing the $40,000 and basically killing Marion for it because he needs a way out of this motel and that money is his going to be his escape. So he's not doing a very good job at uh, distracting. He's no. uh, antagonizing. Yes. <laughs> and then, of course, the men start fighting and Norman knocks Sam out and then he he's like, the house, you know, where's that one lady? Exactly. So he runs up to the house and Marion runs downstairs and she sees the fruit cellar door and she goes in there to hide and she sees the back of Mrs. Bates head in a chair and she turns her around and this is another iconic scene and she sees a skeleton in clothes yes. and a wig and she screams and then this scene actually built did a really good job of building tension and yes. it was done very well. It was scary. Exactly. Norman runs in dressed as his mother mm-hmm. with a knife and before he can run at Lila, Sam tackles him. So he went upstairs not to look for her but because but the to, mother personality yes. took over and went to put oh. on her clothes so that she could do this. She Fucking could take terrifying. care of these people. Fucking Because terrifying. his mother is the killer yeah. part of him. He's the passive one. She's right. the killer. She's going to fight all his battles even in death. It's like split. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It was Patricia. (laughs) (laughs) And then it cuts to the county courthouse and Lila and Sam are there with a bunch of cops in a room talking to a psychiatrist. And I loved the psychiatrist monologue. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Because I just thought it was so interesting how they explained it. Yeah. Granted, it's one of those things where I think a lot of people, they don't need it explained to them. Not nowadays, but back then, yeah. Yeah. But exa- and that's we where needed I, him. I was trying to put myself there because mental okay, health even fair. now has a stigma. And so they really had to explain this, that, yeah, he's crazy, but, like, he's also sick. Like, I feel a lot better now that you just said that. Yeah, because there was scene. a huge right. fucking stigma. There still is about mental health, especially back yeah. then. They were still using, like, electroshock therapy and all these horrible yeah. things because mental illness was just, you were just fucking crazy and they would just lock you up. So they okay. had this psychiatrist come at it from like a, well, it's not really Norman's fault because he has another personality. So they had like this psychiatrist explain it. And he says, Norman has two sides himself and his mother. And he tells them to drain the swamp and they'll find Marion and the PI. And the mother also confessed to killing two young girls that are missing. And he tells them it wasn't a murder-suicide either. He killed his mother and her boyfriend. Because before his mother met her boyfriend, it was just the two of them. And he had to erase the crime in his own mind that he had killed his mother. So he stole her body and began to think and speak for her. He was never all Norman, but he was often only mother. Mm -hmm. So they would coexist, or it would just be the mom. It would never Mm -hmm. be just him. So... He said if he felt a strong attraction to any other woman, the mother side of him would just go wild. He wanted Marion, and that set off the jealous mother, and the mother killed the girl. And as a dutiful son, he cleaned up his mother's crime. The battle for the two personalities is won, and the mother has won. And then you get Mrs. Bates' ending monologue. Best. And as she's saying, I wouldn't hurt a fly. They'll never believe that I could hurt a fly. And she starts kind of shit-talking Norman a little bit and saying how she had to protect him. And it zooms in on Norman's face while the mother is thinking. And it is the best, best. he does such a good job. Fucking look. Oh, it is so eerie and 
sinister and God, it's so good. And that is just the perfect shot to end a masterpiece of a film. Mm -hmm. And I just cannot think of anything that would have made this film better for me because even the things that are archaic now, like now, no, we wouldn't need a psychiatrist to come on screen and cause everybody knows what DID is now. Yeah. Back then. She, no, that's which is I'm fucking saying. crazy. Yeah. And so I loved that ending scene where you get that closure of what happened to Norman. Why is he like this? What do you mean there's no mother? What do you mean she's been dead? She's the one that was the killer. He was cleaning up after her. You get that resolve. Mm-hmm. And it's done, in a, especially for 1960, in a way that I think was very well done and very well thought out to give the audience what they needed. Because I think had he not... It may have been received differently than it was. Yeah, absolutely. I could see that now that you've explained it. Yeah. So I told you when we were talking about the black and white thing, Paramount gave Hitchcock such a low budget on this film because they actually detested this book so much. So this is a book, if anybody wanted to know. It's a book based very loosely on the story of Ed Gein, who is a serial killer Mm -hmm. and had a very close relationship with his mother. So, because they hated that book so much, they gave him a very, very low budget. So, what Hitchcock said was that he he's fine with the low budget, but he's going to take money from the box office earnings. So, basically what happened is so many people went to see this, this movie alone made him a fortune because of how he did that deal. He could have gone broke, but he didn't. Hell Yeah because of that like he he went all in on this movie so hitchcock anonymously bought the rights to the book so the author couldn't tell anybody who he did it so nobody knew it was going to happen he anonymously bought the rights and he bought out as many copies of that book as he could as humanly possible because he didn't want anybody knowing the ending so much so that even the cast and crew didn't know the ending until they were filming the ending that's fucking awesome isn't that awesome Well, because like when you said being an audience member not knowing this it yes. not being such a massive part of horror and just pop culture in general and for the cast not to even know yes. those are some probably some pretty raw like inquisitive looks that they yes. get in the end there that's a masterpiece and right for there. anthony perkins i don't know how far in advance he got his script and his part how but for him knows? to know mm-hmm. that and yes. keep that and be able to also kind of toy with these, his co-stars. Totally. That would be fucking awesome and fun. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That's, I just, people wouldn't do that nowadays. I, mm-hmm. I feel. Maybe there is some artist out there who would do that. But yeah, I feel yeah. like Hitchcock is one of the few that would do something He was like just this. so innovative and yes. inventive. So after the movie was released, Hitchcock actually received a hateful letter from a father who said his daughter wouldn't take baths because of Diabolique, which, I don't know if you've ever seen it, it's a French horror film where a woman is, no, a man is in a bathtub, and he's dead, quote-unquote, but he's not. He comes back to life and gives his wife a heart attack. That's basically what it's about. His daughter wouldn't take baths because of that movie anymore, and then after this, she wouldn't take showers anymore. (laughs) And Hitchcock told him, he's like, you can take her to the car wash. He didn't give a fuck. But... Even people were so down. Yes, people were so affected by this that even Janet Lee was profoundly affected by this because she really realized how vulnerable women were in the shower. She didn't take showers the rest of her life. She only took baths because of this movie. Hmm. I mean, especially when this was such a new thing. These just killing to these mm-hmm. crazy people killing. I could see how acting in that and I've you hear a lot about horror 
actors and actresses really put him putting themselves through really dark and yeah. most actors and actresses if they're doing a dark part or a dark movie yeah. putting themselves in that and i think it would be hard especially because that is immortalized forever i mean could you imagine i mean you were you've talked about the cat and mouse chases I mean, when it comes down to basic biology and survival skills, fight or flight. When you're yeah. racing around on the playground as a child, you get that adrenaline and that fear that someone's going to get you. They're not going to do anything. Hide to you. They're and seek. Get you. Do you remember how scary hide and seek? I don't know if you ever played much hide and seek, but it's scary when you're waiting for someone to fucking find you yes. because you're like, oh god, he's right there, he's right there, he's right yes. there, he's right there. Just in hide and seek, and you yes. know they're just going to be like, you're it. They're not going to fucking kill you, but it's still very exactly. primal. Yeah. Or even if you're just playing with, like, your loved one. I mean, I do this with Connor. Like, you're trying to race them, and you know that they're going to get you, and you feel that adrenaline, oh, that 100%, fear. Oh, 100%, yeah. You're doing this as a job? I could see that being terrifying. And you can't giggle it off, either. Because, no. like, you know, if you get like that, you're like, eh, like, yeah. running away to keep it lighthearted without being like, fuck, you know? So could you imagine doing this scene when she was anticipating, like, she knew the door was going to open. She knew someone was going to come and but get her. But no she when. had to wait. She and had to wait in that shower for that scene. Yeah. That's... I get in that head. That's when I think that actors and actresses really are worth it. Yeah, like, I agree. They have hard jobs. I agree. I mean, I don't think it's shocking to anybody that this gets a five out of five because we already yeah, said it. exactly. <laughs> and again, I just can't say it enough. There's not like a lot of, there's a lot to dive into here, but it's just so fucking good. The really first use on camera that we've got of this multiple personalities or DID mm-hmm. as we know it today, because a lot of movies took from this, a lot of books took from this book and this movie that just created, I mean, like I said, split and all sorts of things like that. This whole interesting, and I think horror club. Yes. I think a lot of horror movies shed light on mental illnesses that would otherwise be swept under the rug and maybe gave them some attention to be looked into a little bit more, or maybe made them a little bit more mainstream. Granted, it wasn't always for the best because when we see mental illness and we see people that are killers and that kind of thing, doesn't always give like schizophrenics, for example, uh, or schizophrenia, DID, a great fucking, you know, name you could say, but it does at least make the name known amongst the general population to kind of start that normalizing process. Yeah. So then I think horror does a pretty good job of that when it does it well. I mean, if you want your drama that I think is horrific, you have... Requiem for a Dream. God, that is a fucked up movie that is about mental illnesses, and whether addiction. they are caused by drugs or not. And even yeah. before drugs, we have addiction, mental illness. Yeah. That is a fucked up... That's a drama, but I think that is a terrifying movie. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. I am glad I had you watch it, but I'm also sorry. (laughs) Right. I don't think I'll watch it again, but I'm glad to have it in my repertoire. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for joining us for this episode. One of our favorites by far, I think, just in the genre. So, of course, it had to be done in our first year. (laughs) But if you want to hang out with us on social media, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Exorcisters Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at The Exorcisters. And if you have any desire to email us about anything that you've seen we have coming up if you have movie suggestions or feedback at all you can email us at the exorcisters at gmail.com and you can also find us on our website at exorcisters.com and next time he used to write for a living now he's writing to save his life till then stay creepy we all go a little mad sometimes <laughs>